Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the inevitability of Warriors Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. Let's go. I'm ready. Ray, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready to get to the next round. Let's do it. But Raymond, before we get to the next round, why don't you look- deal with the Houston Rockets? Yep, yep, those pesky Rockets. But Ray, before we get started on that, why don't you let them know where can they find us? And you can like us at facebook.com slash the goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at the goldcast underscore. You can also follow us on Instagram at the goldcast. And you can also follow or subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the goldcast. Like, subscribe, like, subscribe. Boom. And comment. Like, subscribe, and comment. <laughs> Don't forget to comment. A lot of comments. A lot of comments on the uh, the 49er drafts. Lots of lots of debating back and forth coming from the Goldcast Nation. I like seeing it. Uh, I'm actually going to hop on there and uh, respond to some of the things that I saw. Lots of different um, opinions about the draft. You know, head scratching, totally trusting, totally angry. You know, typical typical Goldcast Nation stuff. But uh, it was thanks. Got, got a lot of interesting responses. A lot of uh, insight. I always love hearing from the Goldcast Nation, the 49er faithful. Raymond, today's episode, we're going to open with the Warriors because that is the biggest story happening in the Bay right now. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Dwight Clark reunion that Eddie D held in Montana. That was emotional read. It's a great article by uh, coming out of Sports Illustrated about that reunion. You definitely should go check, check that out, read that. I suggest reading that and then go watching the 1981 NFC Championship 49ers, uh, Dallas Cowboys at 49ers, the catch, uh, which is what I did. And it was uh, it was pretty awesome. Definitely kind of got me a little emotional. Good, good, good tough, tough read, but a good read. And then we're going to end with a little bit of Giants. But of course, first, the gold cast intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the gold cast. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. Boom! Raymond, Golden State Warriors are here. They have, quote-unquote, flipped the switch. And now they're up on the Pelicans, 3-1. to one, And it looks... Like, the next series is pretty much inevitable. It is going to happen. Golden State Warriors against the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference Finals for NBA Final Supremacy. Let's go. Let's go. It, uh, you and I had a little bit of a debate earlier, and we're going to have it on this, on this gold cast. We were talking about after Game 3, opening game in New Orleans for... Uh, Warriors, 49ers, Warriors leading the series 2-0. They go into New Orleans, and, you know, the the Pelicans put up a really good fight. I thought their defense was fantastic. And Draymond Green sends a text message, a long, late-night text message to Kevin Durant about, uh, you know, playing who he is. I'm, you know, I'm just paraphrasing. I don't have it even remotely memorized. And the big thing about it is, 
the the word that was coming out of it that I had mentioned before is that it did it, you know it has kind of looked all year like the the Warriors kind of go up and down up and down they kind of tend to pick and choose their spots in general they've been extremely consistent and we've seen the Warriors we wanted to see here in the post but then you've got that funky New Orleans Pelicans game that game three and Draymond goes in and gets them pumped up again and I said you know there's just been a little bit of that all year that just seems like it's almost like they get bored out there or they get in the laps it's like they're almost too good that they just sometimes don't always take the moment seriously and you disagreed you said tell the people what you said I thought it was dramatized in my opinion just because that's the media's job the media's job is to dramatize everything you know and the reason why I didn't quite see it the same way you did is because NBA players text each other all the time, every game, you know, and I think what Draymond was basically saying was like, he was, because they, according to Draymond, he rewatched the tape of the game and was basically doing what any diligent player was does is you go and review the tape as painstaking as that might be to see where you went wrong. What you, what did you do wrong? And in his opinion, he thought KD wasn't being as aggressive as he was in the previous two games. He wasn't attacking the paint like he was, his, his shooting was off and he had an off night. The whole team did, you know, and that's why they got blown out. So he, so his text to, to Durant was in reflection of that, saying like, hey, you need to just be aggressive, be yourself, attack the paint. This is what you did wrong this game. Let's go back and do what you normally do. Do what you normally do because what you normally do is you normally dominate a game and you take it over. You know, look what happened in game four. The Pelicans clearly tried to take away Steph Curry because they felt that he was the equalizer that they should focus on. But as we know, you focus on one all-star on the Warriors roster, you have three more to deal with. Even Clay had an off-shooting night, only 13.7 boards. Curry had 23 points, two assists. Kevin Durant had 38 points. So here's the thing. Even when the Splash Brothers do not do well, they still blew out the Pelicans by a incredibly a wider margin than they beat the Warriors than the previous game on Friday night. Imagine if Clay and 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 Steph were on their game. That score would be up into the 40s. It would be Steph with 26 points, Clay with another 26 points. It would be ridiculous. That would be like up to 30 over 30 point margin, which is amazing to think that they even because they have so many contributors that off the bench if even if the all-stars don't contribute the bench is so deep it can contribute Iguodala can shoot cook can shoot uh nick nick young even though he hasn't been a huge factor this postseason we know what he can do during a regular season he's another threat to consider you know david west can score although he's in there mainly for defense but we know he's got that great elbow jumper that never fails sean livingston will is always going to contribute points so there's just too much for the Pelicans to deal with. So I thought that this one, you know, Jamon doesn't have to criticize the role players because the role players have minimal roles. You know, they have the smallest amount of responsibility compared to Kevin Durant, who I would share, I would wager shares an equal amount of responsibility to that of Draymond, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, although Clay Thompson, Draymond Green to a lesser degree because Steph and Durant are the most consistent, prolific scorers on that offense. So I think that's why he kind of went at him. But I think it was a little bit blown out of proportion. And I don't think people shouldn't take it as like, oh, Draymond's calling Durant out. He's not calling him out per se. You know what I mean? They're teammates. You know, they're they're supposed to do that. And even Kevin Durant, when he answered him back the next morning, he woke up and he said, I got you. 
That was his only response. It wasn't like, hey, man, lay off, lay off. Let me let me do my thing. It was like, no, I got you. All right, cool. That means like, hey, in other words, I understand what you said and I'm going to respond, you know, and he and he certainly did. He was dominant. He's undefendable when he's in his normal mode. Doesn't matter whether who's who's guarding him. Not even, uh, you know. I think the only time he would be guardable is is Anthony Davis, who's the same size, is if Kevin Durant tried to go into the paint because Anthony Davis is the same size, and I think that he could contest the paint. Anthony Davis is obviously a very good defender. So, but in terms of Kevin Durant, can shoot over Anthony Davis. That's how good he is. So I think it was just a matter of saying, hey, dude, you weren't you weren't playing your usual game, play your usual game, you know, so we can win this one because we need you. We need your contribution. You know, we need your contribution because it's it's one of the you're one of the biggest cogs in the machine, you know, and I think that's what, what I took from it. And the media, of course, I'm not saying you're doing this, but the media, of course, you know makes it more makes it dramatizes it more than it is you know like oh he's calling him out he texted him it's like okay well that that probably happens more often than you think the only but it's the postseason so you know we got to make a bigger deal about it see and i i agree but i don't i still feel that this has a team that has sometimes had lapse in focus lapses in motivation and I thought what was really telling to me was Draymond set, talking about how he's not going to hold back and he's, you know, he's going he's gonna to tell it like it is. And I felt like that was indicative of him feeling like KD wasn't playing to his t- potential. I don't feel like it was indicative of like, oh, you know, they played a really good defense or, you know, the Pelicans did a really, you know, they, they had a really good game plan, you know, like shake it off, just do what you do. I felt like that was indicative of Draymond seeing what we have often seen from the Warriors this season is that it's a little bit inconsistent, a little bit up and down, up and down. Now, in general, I, I, am, I agree. I think the Warriors have been extremely consistent during this playoff run. I think they've been fantastic. They've been everything we were hoping they would be. They would be. They've been everything we thought they were going to be during the regular season. But you know, but they really did kind of take their foot off the gas pedal during the regular season. I mean, it really looked like they were just bored out there half the time. Yeah, especially during that during that last half stretch, especially during that crunch time stretch when they were leading up to the playoffs and Kevin Durant was coming off injury. Steph Curry was still injured, or he came back from injury, then um, got got. What's his name? Fell on him. I can't remember his name for some reason. The, our one of our backups. Jaja. Wasn't it Jaja? No. No, it wasn't Jaja. No. Was it Jaja? It was uh, Javale no. McGee. Javale McGee Looney? fell on top of Steph Curry and and McGee. And, oh, got, McGee. and caused his knee to get sprained, and he was out an additional six weeks. Um, Clay Thompson had a had a had a fractured thumb prior to that. Draymond Green was dealing with injuries prior to that. So they really limped into the playoffs. But once they got there, boom! That first game, they just turned it on, and rightfully so. They demolished the. Uh, the, the the San Antonio Spurs, you know, four to one. So, and they're going to do the same thing here to the Pelicans. It looks like, you know, and the Rockets looks like they're on pace to, to do the exact same thing as well. And in the East, you have, you know, a collision course between the Celtics and the Cavs of which I think the Celtics are capable despite missing the two big time players that they got in the off season that they felt they needed in order to get over the hump, but have somehow managed to reach a new height and confidence in the group that they've got despite all of the injury injuries and are now, you know, making their way past the the young yet dynamic 76ers. <clears throat> yeah. But anyways, but just going back to what we were saying, so I think we got a little bit ahead of ourselves there. 
I still feel like it was a little indicative of the fact that the Warriors do have lapses. Now, do I think they're going to have lapses against the Rockets? No. Do I think they're going to have lapses against the Cavs? No. Do I think they're going to do I think they're going to beat the Rockets? I do. Do I think that they're going to lose a couple games against the Rockets? I do. Do I think they're going to lose against the Cavs? No. I think Warriors in three. That's actually my been my prediction. Everyone goes, Rudy, if the Warriors and Cavs face each other, what what do you think it is? I go, Warriors in three. I don't even think the Cavs are going to show up for the fourth game. I think they're actually they're going to be on life support so bad. It's they're going to end it. They're going to go for it's going to be the, uh, a record. First time ever in a best of seven series that the 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 team has won in three, not even in four. That's my prediction. That's my hot take. Eat it. It's a pancake warm for you with a big GSW right on top. <laughs> but do I think the media has made a little bit more of it than they needed to? I agree with that. I think that's fair. Do I think they're a little bit right, though, that it was, once again, one of those little Warriors lapses? I do. Do I think that's going to continue into the next two rounds? Not at all. And let's talk about this. What what have you seen out of the Rockets? Do you? I don't know about you. I haven't been that blown away. I really think that uh, Warriors are turning it up a notch, and the Rockets haven't quite, you know? So I, I don't know. I just they, I haven't been as impressed as I thought I was going to be. They still had a great run, but there have been some moments where Chris Paul and James Harden look like Chris Paul and James Harden, guys who have not won uh, very deeply, have not gone very deep in the playoffs, have not won when it mattered most. And I think a little bit of that inexperience and maybe a little bit of that lack of confidence has shown its face a little bit in this these last couple of series. What do you think about what have you seen? I think it's I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, the Jazz is an inferior basketball team. You know, look at each each score, 110 to 96, 113 to 92, 100 to 87. These have been dominant blowout wins against a team that doesn't have a whole lot of star power, that doesn't have a whole lot of depth, that can't keep up with a loaded Rockets roster. And that I think it's going to be a rude awakening when the Rockets meet the Warriors, even though both teams are very familiar with one another and the Rockets got the best of the Warriors during the regular season series. It's a whole different ball game here in, in these postseasons because now the Warriors are healthy. Their bench is healthy. We're even going to get Patrick McCall is even getting ready to come back into the lineup too, which is a, another pesky defender that can also shoot and post up. Although I'd like to see him get better and more prolific in that role. I actually like a lot of what I've seen him cook ever since. In fact, Patrick McCall's injury and Steph Curry's injury actually did huge favors for Cook because we got to see him play tons of minutes, got to see him play a nice little package of games, and we saw that he can post up. We saw that he can shoot threes. We saw that he can distribute and pass the ball well and that he's got a lot of room to grow as a rookie. I like him better than I like Patrick McCall in terms of what his uh, projected talent could be. So um, haven't seen necessarily a whole – a, a lot of crazy contributions from him in the postseason. It's not like we did Patrick McCall in the postseason last year. So I think getting Patrick McCall into the fold, who's been dying to get back in there, will be huge for our bench depth and our the, all the units that Kerr likes to throw out there. You know, we saw the death lineup come start the game in the last game. You know, that was a huge that was a huge deal. We haven't seen a lot of the death lineup. He's been working with other other groups. You know, because obviously Curry was out, so hasn't been the, able to uh, that, do that. The Hampton Five. The Hampton yeah. Five? Yeah. Have you heard that? <laughs> the Hampton Five? 
I don't fully understand, and I, I just haven't bothered to look it up. Do you understand why they're called the Hampton Five? Where that comes from? I don't know. I always think of like some like fancy hotel term. That's that's what I think. It's like a fan, fan like a five star hotel. <laughs> so like five star hotel means like oh you're gonna get the best of the best. That's what I always think in my head. Oh, it's five star hotel Hampton like, Five. Like a, like a, so so like like a five instead of like a five star hotel, it's like a like a five all star basketball team. <laughs> Is that the equivalent yeah. of it? Yeah, that's what I think. But so there's I was like a Motel Six, because... and then there's a Hampton Five. Yeah, <laughs> you should look at look it up look look it up and let us know what what is what's the Hampton Five? Where's that come from? I, I, Steve Kerr was like, "Look, you guys, you sit in the press conference. He's like, you guys can call them the Hampton Five, but I I am not calling them the Hampton Five. I cannot call them that. That just it doesn't work for me. Uh, look look it up really fast. Tell us who why are they called the Hampton Five? <laughs> just out of curiosity." The Hampton Five is is the death is what was previously called the death lineup, which is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and now Kevin Durant. Yeah, and in fact, I'm not even going to use no, this no term anymore because, according to the article that I'm reading, it was coined by Tim Kawakami of, of then San Jose Mercury News. Now he's the leaves the Athletic, and it was he, uh, he coined he coined the Hampton Five. It says, seems to have coined this term on Twitter based on the fact that Curry, Thompson, Green, and Iguodala all met Durant in the Hamptons during the 2016 offseason in order to try and convince Durant to join the Warriors. I knew it had something with visiting the Hamptons. I knew it had to be. That was a good guess. I liked your guess. The Hampton mm-hmm. Five. Okay. Yeah. That's, I forgot about that. Our, uh, our favorite media personality, Tim Kawakami. Uh, yeah. I'm going to call it the death lineup because that's, that's that sounds better. We're, give, we're not we're not giving credit where it's not it's not warranted. We don't do that here on the Goldcast. <laughs> the rivalry continues. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Tim Kawakami. We'll show you. This is the death lineup on the Goldcast Nation. This ain't the, the the Hampton Five. All right, all right. Here we go. All right, let's let's move on. Let's leave it right there. I think it's gotten heated enough. Let me ask you this. Here's another question. Do you feel like Warriors Cavs 4 is inevitable? It's the last question. Then we're going to move on. No, because I like the Celtics' chances. The X factor being Brad Stevens. Everyone thought that the 76ers, because the Celtics had were a starless team, that they have no chance and they were going to get steamrolled. by. The, and then the Celtics just came and uppercutted the living daylights. Out of the 76ers. The 76ers don't know what to do with themselves against this team. Even Vegas did. Even Vegas. Vegas had them like 7-1 to one odds. Vegas was a believer. Of course. Okay. All right. Here we go. So let's move on. Let's get into this talk about the Dwight Clark um, reunion. So great article on Sports Illustrated about this. I recommend all Niner fans going and reading this. And afterwards, do yourself a favor, go onto YouTube, because under NFL Films, you can see the entire game of the 1981 NFC Championship Dallas Cowboys at San Francisco 49ers. It's a great game. It's actually called by Vince Scully, and you see him right in the beginning. He of Dodger fame, of Dodger rivalry fame, he calls the game. 
And uh, I don't even, even though I just saw it a couple days ago, I still don't even remember who he was calling it with. But there are some incredible plays. Some incredible. Dwight has a great game. Joe has a good game. I mean, it's not like star studded. There's a lot of great moments. It's not really the most yeah. piece piece together game by the 49ers. Right. You know, they really remember, kind of come the, back. It's the ground swelling of the dynasty. So you know, it's not. It's not a. It's not picture perfect. It's not doesn't become the dominant smoothness that we see later on in the decade. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't become the dominant smoothness that we see later on in the decade. Exactly. But it it you know, it's them kind of fighting and clawing and trying to get their way in. They'd already lost twice in the late seventies to the Cowboys. The Cowboys are on the end of their run. Tom Landry's still the coach, He's got the hat on, the suit. Bill Walsh is there on the sidelines with the glasses, the headset. It's um it's an older game, you know. Obviously, obviously, it's a much older game. But if you wa- if you read the reunion, and then followed up by watching the game, I think that they make a really good two parter in helping to understand. We've all seen that catch, but I mean, I'm willing to bet that a lot of Niner earlier Niner generation people have never seen the whole game. You know, I've only seen that game twice as an adult, and with the second time being after I read that article. But basically, what happened, Eddie D put together uh, a big note. He, he sent out a notice to a bunch of different guys. There's like 22 guys and said that uh, he was he's requesting that they all show up. And here's the guys that were there. I'm going to go through the list real quick of who was actually at the reunion. So at the reunion is Dwight. Now, the reason they had this, Ray, and what they were saying about this is that, you know, they... Basically, we're saying that um, the the message was clear without having to say it, that this is probably the last time they were ever going to be able to spend time together with Dwight. Dwight has lost 80 pounds, unfortunately, 80 pounds. Um, and this is a big man. And if you see the pictures, he looks pretty thin. Some of the guys that were here, Huey Lewis was there. I didn't realize it at the time, but Huey Lewis and Joe Montana and Dwight Clark were like all bosom buddies. They were like best friends, which I was like, I think that's effing hilarious. One of my favorite all-time shows was in uh, San Francisco um, in the, their their free concerts. I don't even know if they do them anymore. You know, I've been gone for a while, but they saw these free concerts in Golden Gate and Huey Lewis was there. Had the time of my life with a bunch of friends. I I like have this like soft spot. I don't know. I mean, he's you know he's he's a Bay Area boy. Like it's hard. Not, how can you not have a soft spot for Eddie Huey Lewis? I knowing that now knowing that he used to be best friends with Dwight Clark and Joe. Joe unfortunately was unable to attend. I'm not sure why, but Huey Lewis was there. Then you got there's a big picture of all of them: Dwight Clark, Eddie D, Carmen Policy, Ronnie Locke, Gary Plummer, um, Garrison Hurst, Eric Wright, Roger Craig, Dwight Hicks. Russ Francis, Guy McIntyre, Harris Barton, Charles Haley, Kevin Gogan. Um, a couple other people there, too. I was just kind of naming the big ones. Um, other guys that were there that were, you know, uh, Freddie Formosa. He was the former 49ers director of security. Mike Zagar- Michael Zagaris, he was a longtime uh, photographer. Lindsey McLean, 49ers trainer. Uh, Kirk Reynolds, former PR guy. And, and several other people. But, you know, I was just naming the big guns. Eddie D paid for everything. And they talked a little bit about that because that's what Eddie D does. He paid for everything. They flew out. He had the NFL Films commission a 45-minute video that I don't know why they don't sell it. And they should sell it. And portions of it should go to 
to um, trying to find a cure for ALS. The they, they commissioned a video called called Dwight Clark, uh, The Gift of Grab, the Dwight Clark story. And um, they they played it there at Eddie D's ranch in Montana. That's where they all were. were. Again, Eddie wouldn't let anyone pay for anything. He flew everyone out on his jets, brought the whole team out. And the guys talked about how that's how it used to be in the 80s and early 90s too. You know, when the Niners, when the Niners were big in the 80s, I know you know this, Raymond, but for maybe some of our younger Niner fans, I mean, Eddie, these guys had, you know, five-star hotels, top-of-the-line buses, top-of-the-line jets, flying first class. I mean, he really kind of, it was, Mm -hmm. it was similar to the way the, everywhere, it was similar to the way the Yankees were treated in New York. I mean, it was just top-of-the-line for everything, and um, Eddie D would have it no other way. Said a lot of guys got real emotional, a lot of tears, uh, a lot of laughs, and um, basically it was their send off. They weren't because no one's really sure how much longer Dwight Clark has, and the, obviously this disease has been so devastating to lose eighty pounds in under a year is insane. And um, you know it was a really it was an emotional story. And then I went back and I watched the the NFC Championship eighty one. Cowboys at Niners and it was nice to kind of go back I'm getting chills talking about this it's it's nice to go back and see him in this most glorious game and to see the catch and to see the whole game and to see Joe and the team at this the beginning of the dynasty at the start of it all and it was really cool to just read that article and kind of bookend it with the beginning and with what what got him here they retired his number in 1988. That's something I didn't know. Like, like just like six months. He retired in 87. They retired it in 88. And I thought that was so badass. I mean, I mean, to do it that quickly, that doesn't happen very often, you know. Um, and just was a testament to who that player was, who he was to that team. And, yeah, it was, a, it was an emotional article. You guys should look it up. The Dwight Clark, it's called the um, – Sports Illustrated, and the article is called The Last Huddle, and it's written by Chris Ballard, and uh, it just came out just came out on May 2nd, and it's all about uh, this reunion that they had in Montana, which I, oh, last little piece that I wanted to talk about. Apparently, according to the article, the Yorks believe they have the goalposts for from Candlestick, but apparently Eddie D took them out piece by piece, and he has the actual goalposts in Montana. They have these pictures of them at the ranch. He has the Candlestick goalposts, and I think it's so cool that the Candlestick goalposts still exist, and that Eddie D's got them, and that he snuck them out when when the Yorks were. He said he had he had them moved out piece by piece. So I'm not sure if he like just like took a couple pieces at a time over the course of like a decade. I'm not really sure like what he did and how he did it. But like I said, apparently the Yorks in the article it says the Yorks thought that they had the goalposts, but um, they don't, and that Eddie D shipped them out piece by piece, and they're 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 pretty green now. They're like kind of stained green. But he has the goalposts in Montana, which I said I found very appropriate given Joe Montana. And yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a heart beautiful article. It's a heart wrenching article. And if you cut, if you if you if you if you if you meet that up with the NFC Championship, I really think it's a beautiful bookend. 
And um, yeah, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. That was I did that this weekend, and I was like, I have to talk about it on the Goldcast because it was it was pretty powerful the combination of both. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on on, on that story. Um, I didn't get to read it in depthly as much as you did, but um, based on the little bit I was skimming across, you know, it sounded pretty awesome. I love the fact that the goalposts are in Eddie D's hands and not the Yorks. Why the Yorks think that they should own any memorabilia from that? that era is beyond me but uh you got to win your own chip and then you can own some of that chip that's how it works you don't get to own the chips that you weren't a part of so sorry jed sorry the dr york it doesn't work that way just because you retain the team does not mean that you are all of a sudden there's a retroactive backlog of recognition that you also inherit you do not the team inherit uh, the team created that without you so you just get to have the name Niner, you know, as part of your portfolio. But in terms of the article, I think it's pretty sad what's happened to Greg to uh, Dwight Clark. But I'm glad that 49ers legends got together to do what they're doing. You know, hopefully they can arrange something else for Joe to meet them because I know Joe and Dwight were cl- quite close. So, you know, something like that materializes. That'd be great. I'd love to read about it. But uh, other than that, you know, uh, you know, kind of a. a a little bit of a sad ending for, you know, someone who's regarded as, you know, the beginning of the Niner dynasty from 81 through 94. So, but, uh, I, uh, I think if you guys want something uh, a little bit more on the emotional side, it's a good piece to check out for sure. Yeah, definitely. And our hearts go out to Dwight Clark and, uh, yeah, thank you so much for everything you've done. Like, seriously, like, it's incredible. Like, it's amazing to think that that one catch can bring so much joy to so many 49er fans and how here we are, you know, almost 40 years later and that catch is still iconic. You see it every year, every year, all over NFL films, ESPN. You that it's There is only one the catch, you know, and I've said that many times that there are, out of all the thousands upon thousands of catches that have been thrown and caught in the NFL and will be thrown and caught in the NFL till the end of time. There's only one the catch. There's only one. And that's Joe Joe Montana to Dwight Clark. And so I know Dwight's probably never going to hear this, but you know, thank you very much for everything you've done. And my heart goes out to you and your family, to the Dwight Clark family, the Goldcast Nation. Our heart goes out to you guys. And if it wasn't for Dwight Clark and Joe Montana, who knows if we'd even be here. You know what I mean? This podcast is 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 a direct a direct lineation to to that catch. We we can't even say in full confidence that had that never happened that we would be here. You know? There's no there's no there's nothing set in stone, nothing to say that we would be here if it wasn't for that moment and what that moment brought for the city of San Francisco. So it's pretty amazing and yeah, a little, little emotional, definitely um, a little sad, but, you know, it's, uh, there's always a purpose for everything, no matter what. And uh, on that note, Ray, let's uh, move on to the Giants real quickly. Three series in a row. We had three games over, over nine runs or more. Comes a little bit to a screeching halt today. The Phillies kind of whooped their ass. We're recording this on Monday, May 7th. Uh, you know, 10-0. It was just, or I think 11-0. It was, a, it was a bloodbath. But, I mean, you know, it, you're not going to go undefeated for the rest of That's not how baseball works. But a stellar end to April and a stellar beginning to May 
Let's hear your thoughts. What do you think about this Giants team? You and I were were pretty frustrated, kind of, you know, it was early, but we were frustrated on those first couple games going, man, this offense picked up right where they left off, which is absolutely nowhere. And, I mean, it. I got to give props to, to, the, to, to the front office. It really seems like we have picked up a pretty tough offense. What do you think? For sure. They certainly didn't show any signs of life today, but they scored – you know, nine or more runs three games in a row between the Dodgers and the Padres. So that was awesome to see. They've won six of their last eight. They're three games over 500, which is exactly where you want to be at this time of year. It's baseball. You're going to lose a lot. So, but you don't want to be too deep in the hole. I like what I'm seeing so far. The pitching still needs to stabilize. Jeff Samarja is kind of up and down. You know, his velocity seems to be back, but he didn't have much command. You know, there were times when he settled and looked good. But other than that, he's been kind of up and down this year. Johnny Cueto now has a sprained elbow. The good news is he's not going to have surgery. But again, all of our pitchers are injured with the exception of Jeff Samarja. All of our starting rotation is gone. But I do like what I'm seeing out of the young guys. I think Stratton and uh, I think they're. They're doing they're doing enough, you know. They're doing enough to keep us in the mix. So, which is more than you can ask from all of our guys. So, I think uh, Corey Guerin, Hunter Strickland, Tony Watson, those guys are doing good in the bullpen. You know, they're not great all the time. Strickland's been great in closing, despite the fact that I don't like him in that role whatsoever. Um, just because he's never been good in that role, and he's also older now too. So, I just don't trust him. You know, although he does have a slider, which makes him more than a one-trick pony, which is typically what you want. You don't want a one-trick pony, which is what he was before, which is why he didn't do well in that role. But I like what I see out of Ty Block. I think he's starting to become more consistent before beginning of the year. Seemed like the only team he could beat was the Dodgers, but now he's starting to pitch better around the other teams and tap into that that dominating ability that he's got when he just dominates and puts the ball in, into the right defender gloves and gets strikeouts not a huge strikeout pitcher but other than that this is exactly where they need to be right now you just need to be a few games over 500 once you hit the all-star break you need to start to get to the 5 10 game range once you get to august september you need to be in the 15 20 game range and then you can start to really kind of pull away for either division or wild card most likely division if you're 15 to 20 games over 500 it's definitely in play i mean well you know it's still it's early but i mean if they continue on this track we easily can be fighting for the division for the top of the top of the NL West. Yeah, I think so too. So it's just uh, they just need to keep stay consistent, you know, like they've been doing. The A's have been actually playing really good too. They've been playing good scrappy ball. So both teams, I believe, are playing a lot of real good scrappy ball right now, and that's what you want to see. Absolutely, especially Raymond in an even numbered year. Yes, go figure. <laughs> well Raymond before we go why don't you let them know where can they find you you can follow me on Twitter at Ray Solis you can also follow me on Instagram at Ray Solis one you can follow me on Instagram at Rudy Solis three at Twitter on Twitter at Rudy Solis three RD Rudy Solis third. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host Rudy Solis the third, and with me is my brother, my co-host Raymond Solis the first, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, 
same gold cast channel. We'll see a pick of some kind on the right side, possibly. Montana looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. Oh, Dwight Clark! 